Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. If you don't have your Bibles... Uh, many of you have a smartphone. You can download an app and have the Bible right on your phone. And uh, if you don't have that, you can follow along on the screen. We try to make it as easy as possible around here for you to connect to the Word of God. Before I jump in, I want to say congratulations to Jordan and Haley. Tomorrow is their one-year anniversary, and uh, I can't believe my son has been married for a whole year. Um, but we are thankful that God's blessed them, and they are a wonderful couple. And if you don't know them, you should get to know them. They're great people. Uh, so that's my shout out plug for family today. Uh, Job chapter 23, beginning at verse 8. It says, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. Verse 10 says, but he knows where I'm going. In spite of the fact that I went east and he wasn't there and I went west and I couldn't find him and I went to the north and he was hidden and I looked in the south and he was hiding there too, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. Uh, Job chapter 28, a few chapters over, verse 1 from the King James Version says, Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to the darkness and searcheth out all perfection, the stones, of, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. Job 28 uh, from verse 1 through 3 from the New Living Translation says this. It says, people know where to mine silver and they know how to refine gold. They know where to dig iron from the earth and how to smelt copper from rock. They know how to shine light in the darkness and explore the farthest regions of the earth as they search in the dark for ore. Take my title today from the third verse of Job chapter 28. They know how to shine light in the darkness. My title simply is this, Light in the Darkness. Let's pray together, can we? Father, I thank you. I thank you that we're in your presence to experience you and know you. I thank you, Lord, that you already showed up to do amazing things in our midst because when we worship you, you come down and you do great things. And today, Lord, I ask, that your word would be alive in us and that you would help us today to embrace the word of God, to challenge us and to change us, to help us be what you'd have us be in this moment. We thank you, Lord, for your power and presence in this house today, that when we leave here, God, we would know that we've been in your presence and that there would be a definitive moment in this time, in this time together where we can leave here and know that we've been changed by being in your presence today. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. This morning, I'd like to take a look for a few moments at a really fascinating man. Uh, his name is Job, and I've often wondered what it would be like to meet him. I think he's one of the guys when I get to heaven, I definitely want to search out and, and talk to for probably, you know, a couple hundred, two hundred, three thousand years. I don't know, just a while. Um, but the Bible says that Job was perfect, a man that feared God and he hated evil. And 
As a result, Job was highly favored of God. He had 10 children. He had great wealth, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys. All total, someone attributed the wealth of Job during his day to have been somewhere around $8 million. In our day, well, he'd be doing all right, right? He'd have plenty. Uh, the Bible says that he was the greatest man in the entire East at the time that he was alive. Now, this was a guy that had his act together. He was successful. He loved God, and yet there came a day when all of that was tested. Job had it going great. He was greatly blessed. He had everything going his way, and then an attack came. The Bible says that Satan came before the presence of God. Understand that God doesn't have Satan on his staff. Satan is not there for a board meeting. He is there, really, to update God on his activities. And uh, he tells God, he said, hey, I've been roaming to and fro in the earth. I've been checking out some of your kids all around the earth. And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? What a testimony that when God hears that the devil is checking out people, that he says, hey, have you checked out my boy Job? Like, what a testimony that is, right? I mean, that'd be like somebody really mean coming and wanting to do some harm, and I'd be like, you know, I know you want to harm me, but have you checked out my son, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. Joker is yoked, man. He will tear you up. Yeah. Go ahead and mess with him for a while, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. He says, there's none like him. He fears me. He hates evil. He's perfect, and he does what's right. Then God allows the devil to really go and test Job. He says, okay, God, if he's so great, let me get a hold of him, and we'll see just how much he loves you. When you're going through a season of difficulty, a season of trial, a season of attack, I wonder if you ought to keep this in mind. Could it be that God has just been bragging on you? Now, if you've been living like the devil, don't expect God to brag on you. But if you've been doing right, and you've been living right, and you've been doing the best you know how to do, and you've been keeping God first in your life, and then all of a sudden a tough season comes, could it be that God is like, mm, have you checked out my girl Robin? Yeah. Right? I mean, have you, could it be? That God has said, hey, have you checked out Carter? Mm -hmm. right. Now, I wish he'd keep my name out of his mouth sometimes, but <laughs> could it be that God has been in heaven saying, hey, they're ready for a new level. They are ready for a new anointing, a new season of favor, a new season of blessing. Could it be that God is saying, have you considered my servant? And some of us have been asking the question, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Why are we facing this? Why, 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 why? As Pastor Thompson preached last week, sometimes the enemy brings a storm. Sometimes God allows a storm. Sometimes we create our own storms. And sometimes our storms are just part of life. The part that I like, though, is that regardless of where the storm comes from, Jesus doesn't leave us alone in the storm. I think a lot of times we feel like we're alone. But I want you to know today that the storm doesn't scare him off. He's not overwhelmed by your anxiety, and he's not scared because you're scared. He doesn't get chased off, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not going to drop you by the side of the road just because a pothole appears. He is with you in the storm. And in Job's case, Satan brought the trial, but he had to get permission from God to do it. And some of us are wondering now, well, if that's true, why would God allow who loves me, why would he allow the devil to come against me? And to that I would simply say that God is more interested in your character 
and his perfect will in your life than in your comfort or that life needs to always be easy for you. God wants us to be perfected by the fiery trials that we go through because they work to instill his character within us. They work to bring us forth like pure gold. The work, the work that they are doing in us is to purify us and to cleanse us so that we can be truly vessels of honor in his kingdom. One man, one man said that in my life, you are either, I'm either in a storm, I'm coming out of a storm, or I'm about to go into a storm, right? Isn't that the way life feels sometimes? As soon as we get out of one, it's another one's coming. I, I know in my own life, when things start to get pretty easy or non-eventful, I'm starting to look around, wondering, okay, where's it at? It's coming, right? So just when you think you've arrived, just when you think you are living on easy street and you've gone through everything you could go through, there will come a messenger from Satan. There will come an attack. And when it comes, you got to know it's going to be all right. You are going to come through it. Why? Because God's just trying to work something out of you right now. God knew you were going to be facing this. Matter of fact, he may have allowed it to come just so he could work something in you that would make you greater in the long run. The same God who was with you before the trial is with you in the trial, and he's not going to drop you in the midst of the trial. He's going to carry you all the way through to the other side. So according to the story of Job, God lifts the hedge of protection. And uh, those of you that know me know that I have a fascination with Tim Hawkins' comedy. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to look up Tim Hawkins' hedge of protection. Get yourself a good laugh this afternoon. Don't do it now. And nobody go to the iPads that are forgiving and try to pull up Hulu and do that. I've caught a couple of you. Don't do that today, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> but go home. Look up Hedge of Protection from Tim Hawkins. It'll give you a laugh for the afternoon. But God lifts this hedge that was protecting Job. And Satan leaves the presence of God. And then Job has a day like I cannot even begin to imagine. The next time you have a bad day and you begin to think it can't possibly get any worse, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> The next time you have that kind of day, read the first chapter of the book of Job. Think about it for a moment. Job is literally relaxing. He's enjoying life. He's worked hard. He's enjoying the fruit of his labor. I just picture Job out by the pool, leaned back in a lounge chair, somebody fanning him. He's popping grapes in his mouth. He's got a big old jar of iced tea that he is enjoying. It's got all kinds of fruit floating around in the top. I mean, it's a beautiful life. He had a great time of prayer that morning. He, he, he took care of his devotions. He connected to God in the God's presence. He offered sacrifices. He gave his offerings. He paid his tithes. He took care of kingdom builders. He even gave to missions. He was doing all his normal stuff when all of a sudden one of his servants show up. Well, Job, uh, you know you told us to take the oxen out and plow the field and the female donkeys, we were supposed to take them out and feed them and well, the group of Sabians came up and they took all of your thousand head of oxen and your 500 donkeys and they killed all of your servants. But I have good news. I saved a bunch of money by switching to Geico. <laughs> no, he said, I alone escaped to come and tell you. And while he was sharing his good news, here comes another servant. Job, um, you know that 7,000 head of sheep? Well, it looks like God decided barbecued lamb was what we were having for lunch because fire came out of heaven, burned up all 7,000 of them, and the servants that were taking care of them, they all died, and I alone managed to come and tell you. And, and while he was sharing his good news, here comes another servant. Well, Job, there were three groups of Chaldeans, and they showed up where we were watering the camels, and 
uh, they took all 3,000 camels and they um, killed your servants with swords and I managed to get away to tell you about it. In a matter of 10 minutes, Job finds out that he has gone from being the greatest man in the East to being broke, busted, and disgusted. But at least he still had his family, right? Think about it. Sometimes you can endure almost anything as long as you know you got your family or you got people in your corner. There have been times we didn't have much more than two nickels to rub together, but my wife and I and our kids, we felt blessed because we had each other. So my guess is Job was feeling bad, but he was probably relishing in the fact that he still had ten children and a wife. And then another servant shows up. Job, uh, you might want to sit down. All your kids were having dinner at your oldest son's house. Now, if Job was like some of us, we'd be like, well, where was my invitation? Why didn't I get invited to come? But you might be glad that one was lost in the mail. Because while they were eating, I had just served the main course, Job. You wouldn't believe this. And you know how storms can come up quick? Well, a windstorm came up out of the desert, and somehow this storm hit all four corners of the house at the same exact time. And the house fell down flat. And all your kids are dead, and all the other servants are dead. But miraculously, I survived to come and let you know. Isn't it true that there's always somebody that'll show up to share the bad news? When you got good news, you be all alone. Nobody's there. You don't have nobody to talk to. But you got bad stuff happening, you guarantee there's one person that's going to show up just to run their mouth and tell you about it. It was once said that it's not what happens to a man, but what happens in a man that reveals his character. I heard it once said that I can't control what happens to me, but it is my response to what happens to me that I can't control. And that's why I believe the next actions of Job show just how close this man was to God. Job, after hearing four extremely negative reports, after hearing four devastating reports, four reports of victory for the enemy, Job stands up. And he rips his clothes in grief. And that's important to notice because when loss comes, everybody needs to grieve. In your own way, yes. In your own time, yes. But everybody needs to grieve. And everybody's grief is different. And everybody's grief should be encouraged and applauded. Even Jesus grieved for his friend Lazarus knowing full well that he was going to raise him from the dead. He took four days, still showed up at the tomb and cried and grieved, and then raised him from the dead. When loss happens, grief is the natural, acceptable, and encouraged byproduct. Anyone who tells you otherwise has never lost anything, or they're misappropriating scripture in your situation. So grieve. But after he grieved, Job gets a hold of himself, he shaves, he falls down on his face before God, and he cries about how bad his life is. Nope. He falls down on the ground before the Lord, and he worships. And then Job's make, Job makes one of the most profound statements in all the word of God. He shows this amazing perspective in spite of what appears to be insurmountable odds against him. He says, naked came I into the world, and naked I'm going to go. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Man, I've been through some stuff where I lost, and I didn't have that attitude. I don't know where he got it from, but you know what? I want that kind of attitude that I can say, you know what, Lord? I don't know what you got for me. I don't know what's coming down the road, but I do know this. I came here with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing, and you still are worthy to be praised. Job refuses to look at his current circumstances without first giving glory to his God. He refuses to dwell on his hurt and his pain without first looking at the one who he knew had given him everything to begin with. Hear me today. I validate you in your pain. I recognize that you have gone through great loss. I understand your anxiety. I understand your feelings right now. But in your condition, in your pain, God is still with you. And in the midst of it, he will will strive to do whatever he can to connect with you and help you through it if you'll put your eyes on him and allow him to guide you through the path. Just when Job started to adjust to new life, it suddenly gets worse. On top of all of the losses he had had, he gets sick, he has horrible sores all over his body, and his wife tells him he ought to curse God and die. So it wasn't bad enough I had to adjust to all these losses. Then I get sick, and when your body starts to fail, how many of you know that when your body's not working quite right, it can have a devastating effect on you mentally, physically, and emotionally, right? You're just having a tough time. And then the person that you trust in the most, his wife, walks in and says, dude, you are so jacked up. God obviously doesn't like you anymore. Just curse him and be done with it. Man. How many of you know, you know, your wife can have a devastating effect on you emotionally, right? <laughs> Not mine. Mine is perfect. <laughs> Notice with me what's happened to him. All his livestock are dead. All of the cattle stolen. All of his servants, except the fearsome foursome, are gone. All of his children are dead. His personal health fails him. His wife tells him he's better off dead. So Job, as he's sitting thinking about life, thinking about loss, thinking about struggle, even expressing some of his frustrations to God, uh, he begins to come to the realization that even though at this moment he can't seem to find God, he can't feel God, he searched for God in the north, the south, the east, the west, he doesn't find him. He almost seems silent to God. To God. Notice what he says in Job chapter 23. I go east, not there. I go west, I can't find him. I don't see him in the north. He's hidden. I look to the south. He's concealed. But he knows. It's like he has this resolution in his mind that says, even though I can't find him, I know that he knows where I'm at. He knows where I'm going. He knows the end result of this, how it's going to all come out. He knows the path and where it's going to lead. He's like that GPS that knows where it's going to get to. If I'll just trust in the direction that he's going, guess what? When he tests me, I'm coming out of this pure gold. He comes to the realization that in spite of the situation, in spite of the circumstances that are threatening his livelihood, his status, even his relationships, in spite of the trial that he's going through, he declares that God's testing him will produce gold in his life. Now the gold is not to make him rich, but rather to prove his value, to prove his worth, to prove his purity, to prove his metal, to prove that what, what is working on, going on within him is not meant to just produce dirt in my life, but it's for, to dig through the dirt to produce the gold that is within me, to show God and the world that in spite of the trial, I'm coming through better than I went in. 
Throughout Scripture, we find this idea of trials working in us to bring about something better. James 1.13 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. 1 Peter 4.12 and 13 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Ooh, glad about trials? Lord, have you lost your mind? Be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. It gives the impression that when we're going through tough stuff, when we are facing a trial or a dilemma, a set of circumstances that are outside of our control, and we don't know which way to turn, and the heat seems like it's being turned up in our life, is it possible that the fiery trial is meant to work something into you or something out of you so that you can come forth in a better position than when you went in? The purpose of the trial may be to clear away some stuff, to push away the dirt, to get rid of the grime, to allow the gold to begin to shine through in your life. So Job declares, hey, I may not be feeling God right now. Anybody ever been through a season where you couldn't feel God? That's why I'm so glad my relationship with him is not based on a goose bump, but it's based on a choice that I made and a choice that he made to die for me at Calvary. Can you say amen? I may not be feeling you right now, God. I may not even be hearing you. I may be crying out, and I feel like the ceiling is made of brass. But I know that you know the direction this thing is all coming. And at the end, you're going to bring me forth as pure gold. In that same theme, Job in chapter 28 begins to offer some discussion really on the ideas of wisdom and really kind of starts to think about how precious the wisdom of God is and how wisdom is really mined out or searched out as we begin to dig through some things in our life. And in the process, he begins to talk about how miners during the time that he lived would go into caves deep within the earth and they would look for precious gems and gold and silver. They would go into the dark crevices of the earth and they would search for these things of value. They didn't have the equipment that we have today. They didn't have geothermal scanning instruments, and they didn't have all these special things that some of y'all like to watch on Gold Rush to find where the gold is. They didn't have any of that, okay? They had a torch for light and probably some type of blunt instrument that they would use to hack into rock. I mean, that's really what they had at the time of Job. And so they didn't even have a helmet they could put on with a miner's light on the front, right? They didn't even have any of that stuff. They just had a torch and maybe something to, to, to swing at. They'd go into these deep, dark caves, and they would swing that, that pick or that blunt instrument, and, and with their faces pressed against the wall of the cave, they were searching, looking for something, something that would justify all of the hard work they were doing, all of the rock they were moving, all of the dust and dirt they were pushing away, something that would give them a justification for working so hard down into the recesses of the earth, something that would give them hope in the midst of the dark. People know according to Job, where to mine silver and how to refine gold. He says they're down in there digging and they got their faces up against the rock looking just for a vein or a piece of silver, a little bit in there that shows that they were worth all the effort. Almost as if Job is saying, it feels like I'm in this deep, dark hole and I can't get out and I'm searching for God's wisdom in this and it's, the wisdom is so precious to me and I want to find it, but I'm looking and I'm not finding it and I'm so low that I'm underneath the earth and I've been trying to dig out of my problem and I, I can't see any end to it all and all I can see is the devastation that surrounds my life. 
But if I can just keep swinging this blunt instrument, this pick, this axe, whatever it is, if I can keep swinging, if I can keep taking that torch and shining just a little bit of light, maybe, maybe I can see that vein of silver down here somewhere. Miners know where to find the silver. They know what to do to refine the gold. And surely I'm going to find the silver if I'll just keep searching, keep mining, keep on going. Job was reminding himself he would not always be where he was at this point in his life. The trial that he was facing would not last forever. That, that God always has a way of purifying us and always has a way of getting to the precious, valuable silver beneath the surface. Redemption always comes. Restoration always comes to those who put their faith and trust in God and allow God to work those things out in their life. Job begins to think back and he remembers when he had honor in the gates. And he remembered when the young men would retreat and say nothing to him because they were intimidated by his successes. He remembered when princes would sit in silence when he walked into a room because God had so blessed and exalted him that people in reverence and awe would stare at him and when he would walk into a room how people would honor him. And then he begins to think back to all that God had done for him. And he sits there and said, as bad as things are now compared to then, surely there's silver in this mine. Surely there's gold in here to be refined. Surely there's precious jewels in here. There's bronze in this, in this cave. Surely there's something of value that can be found in the midst of this darkness. Whatever happens if this, in this life, if the economy fails or if it soars, if the church is persecuted or if it's paraded, if we see discord or we see harmony, if this is what it takes for the church to get their focus back on God, if we got to go through the darkness and we got to go through tough stuff, if this is what it takes for revival to break out in America, bring it on, God. Take us through the dark places so that we can find the gold that's in this here mine. Take us through the dark places so we can find the silver that's here, the precious jewels that's here. Let us work through the dirt and the grime and the muck so that we can be purified before you so we can present ourselves to you holy, clean, and righteous in your presence. Because we need Jesus more than we need anything else. I would rather see my family redeemed and saved and have everything the way it ought to be. And to have a thousand oxen and seven thousand camels and goats. I don't care about any of that as long as my boy and my girl and my wife and my boy's wife, if they get to heaven, that's all that really matters. Surely the miner knows where to find the silver even in this dark place. In a dark tunnel of addiction, the miner knows where to find the silver. In the dark corners of depression, Jesus can find the silver. If that deep pit of discouragement and darkness that you're in, the miner knows how to find the silver. If you won't give up, surely there is a vein of silver, a plan of redemption for you, a vein of restoration, a sliver of hope. Surely there is silver in that mine. Job said the miner knows where to find the silver. And secondly, if Job is using this illustration of the miner or the person who's looking for the silver to be God, then he goes on to say, I also know that the miner knows how to shine light in the darkness. The King James Version says he sets an end to the darkness. Now understand, if God is working in our lives to bring gold out of us, to work redemption into our lives, and to cause us to be purified in the midst of the struggles of life, if in essence God is the miner who knows how to mine the silver and he knows how to refine the gold, in verse 3 he declares that the miner knows how to shine light in the darkness. In other words, he recognizes that darkness is pervasive, but a little bit of light goes a long way in the midst of the darkness. The King James Version says he sets an end to the darkness. In other words, it's been dark long enough 
it's time to turn on the light. God told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Because I prophesied before they ever went into bondage that after 400 years they were coming out. Why? Because before they ever got into Egypt, God had already decreed and set it into motion that the darkness was going to end after 400 years. Four generations before the people that were in Egypt were there, God looked at Abraham and this is what he said. Know certainly, Genesis chapter 15, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. 400 years in advance of that happening, guess what? That's exactly what happened. God let Abraham know it was coming. And 400 years later, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And he brought them out, according to Pastor Tony, just a few weeks ago with all their stuff coming with them. I promise you today, God set an end to the darkness. He told Daniel, he said, Daniel, it's time to fast and pray because I said 70 years ago that my people, because they were backsliding, I was going to be, they were going to be taken captive, captive by Babylon. Daniel, I need you to fast and pray because 70 years ago I told Jeremiah to write this down. And this is what Jeremiah wrote. He said, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And so, Daniel, guess what? Seventy years have gone by. It's time to pray and to fast and get the people ready because they're going home. Why? Because I set an end to the darkness. Before they ever went into Babylonian bondage, God had decreed and said it's only going to last for 70 years. My people are coming home from captivity. He set an end to the darkness. God will not allow the darkness to last forever. He will set an end to the darkness. He will shine a light when darkness seems at its greatest. Think about it. When the first child died, when the first sheep died, when the first building was destroyed, when the first boil came up on Job's body, God had already set an end to the darkness. He already had said, you know what, I'm going to allow this to go, but it's only going to go for so long. Devil, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. It's only going to last so long. God knew it would get worse before it would get better, but he already set an end point to that darkness. You need to understand this today. Before you got into the mess you're in, God already saw the end result and he saw the end date for it. He set an end to it that it would stop before you ever got in it. He decreed darkness, you can come this far but no farther. You can only last this long and no longer. Psalm 30 and 5 says his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In other words, the sun is going to rise tomorrow and darkness is about to end. Yeah, good. Not only did God decree an end to the darkness, but for Job, he doubly restored everything that had been stolen from him. At the end of the darkness, the Bible says for the shame Job had to go through and for the trouble that he had faced, God restored double for all that he'd lost. You've got to imagine the story of Job for a moment. He is considered perfect according to the Bible. He'd done everything right, and yet he loses everything. And so his friends gather around him, and they begin to make accusations against him. Begin to say, oh, you must have ticked God off. You've done some bad stuff. You must have been cheating on your wife. Something, you have done something really bad here, right? right? He gives them this laundry list of things that they must have done, his, his great friends that they were. And they, they gather around and make all these accusations. And if I'm Job, I'm sitting there, and I'm probably starting to wonder after a while, God, what did I do? And Job, who had been respected, when he walked in the gates, people stopped and looked at him. 
because of his wealth and because of his power and his prestige. But make no mistake, he had all those things, but what he had that they really recognized was the favor of God on his life. And he had great respect as a result of it. And now he's got nothing. Imagine the shame he felt in that. Imagine how much shame he felt over his losses. And some of you understand that shame because you know what it's like to be in a dark place. And you know what it's like to lose. And you know what it's like to feel shame over mistakes you made and things you did wrong and struggles that you got. Stuff you're dealing with right now you feel shame about. But I promise you, if you'll surrender the shame to God, if you'll say, God, even though I feel this shame, I'm surrendering it to you because I'm not intending to live the rest of my life in this dark place. I know you have an end to this darkness, and I'm going to surrender it to you. And for your shame, I believe God will restore everything that was taken from you. Let's say if you went through life as a kid and you had an adult do something wrong to you and you felt shame your whole life as a result of it. Guess what? I'm sorry that happened to you, but God will turn evil into good. If you'll surrender that shame to him, he'll make something beautiful out of it. There are things that have happened in my life that I've struggled with shame for years over. And I don't know why I'm going in on this because it ain't even in my notes, but I just feel it. There are things that I have been struggling with for years that I have suffered through shame over. And so much so that I felt like I wasn't even worthy to be in the presence of God. That I didn't even deserve his presence. I certainly didn't deserve to be up here. But God, in his great mercy and grace said, you know what, devil, you can afflict him with that, but only for so long. I'm not going to let him continue to walk in guilt and shame over stuff, the mistakes he made of yesterday. I'm going to set him free from it. Why? Because I'm going to use him to help other people who are going through the same stuff. And so today you might be in this room and you might be consumed with shame. You might be consumed with guilt over mistakes you made, stuff that happened to you, stuff that you didn't ask for and people still dumped in your life. You might be consumed. Maybe you were abused as a kid. Let's just get plain for a minute. Maybe you went through some rotten stuff. You didn't ask for it. You didn't claim it. You didn't desire it. You definitely didn't want it. Nevertheless, it showed up at your doorstep. And you've been dealing with it for 15, 20, 30. Some of you maybe for 50 years you've been dealing with shame over stuff that happened to you when you were a kid. I'm here to declare today boldly and without hesitation or equivocation. It's not the will of God for you to wander in guilt and shame. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Surrender that. Serve it up to Jesus. God, I'm tired of living in this dark cave. Surely there's some silver in this cave. Surely there's gold in this mine. Surely there's something good that you can bring about because of this. Yes, so good. good. I'm not talking about willful sin that you just constantly get into. I'm talking about stuff that's happened to you that you feel so much shame over. You don't even feel like you're welcome in the presence of God. That's the beautiful thing about God. Yeah. He says you can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in the time of need. He doesn't invite you when you ain't in need. And trust me, if you're consumed with shame, that's the time you're invited. Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in the time of need. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Yes. He didn't call you to remain in darkness. He called you out 
of the darkness. He wants you to set aside the darkness. He wants you to set aside the guilt, set aside the shame, set aside all the stuff that keeps you bound and walk free in the power of his light. If you've ever been in this room when uh, the lights are off, uh, come in here on like a Wednesday, Tuesday night, the band ain't here to practice, media team's not back there, all the lights are off, there's no lights on in the building. And I promise you, you will quickly realize just how powerful the exit lights are, those little blue lights on the on the. Uh, Wi-Fi repeaters back there are, the clock is, because when you are in here and there is no light, a little bit of light becomes very important to you. I've walked off the edge of this platform thinking I had a few more steps and found myself on my face on the floor. Not because I wanted to pray. Oh, they're going to show you. We still got some on the sides, fellas. They They got plenty. Yeah, I was on, I literally went off the front not to pray in the altar, but I was there and I was praying. (laughs) When you're in that kind of darkness, all you need from God is just a glimmer of hope. All you need from somebody is to come alongside you and to just flick a match for a moment or just just give me a glimpse of what could be. And that's where I see Job. He's in that cave and he's like, God, just let me see a glint. Let me see a glimmer of some silver. Let me see something in here that makes sense of all of this. Yes. And if you will, look for the silver. Look for the gold. Look for the, the precious gems that are in that cave. God will begin to bring you out and rec- you will recognize that those things are valuable things that are in your life that God put in you, and he's just digging through the dirt to get to them. It's not going to end where you are right now. He sets an end to the darkness. The darkness is going to pass. God is going to shine his light on you. God will have the last word in your life. You can't judge the end of the book by the chapter that you're in right now. He sets an end to the darkness. If the praise team, music team would come. I don't know why I feel this, but some of you have been suffering with some kind of sickness for a very long time. Sickness has been a part of your life, and you just think this is the way it's always going to be. I want you to know today we serve a God who's a healer. And it's not his intention for you to waddle and wallow in in self-pity and misery in this sickness for the rest of your life. He wants you to walk in freedom. So today I want to invite you to experience that freedom and presence in the presence of the Lord. It's not his will that you continue to be in the darkness. It's not a secret. The last few years have been run, uh, really a run of darkness in every direction in our world. feels like every direction we turn is more bad news, more problems, more economic concerns, more medical concerns, more societal unrest, more political ideology drama, more civil unrest, global turmoil, darkness everywhere. But Psalm 119 and 130, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It declares the entrance of your word gives light. My Bible's got a black cover. It's got white pages. Little fancy gold on the edges. When I open it up, if I'm in a dark room, I can't see it. But when I put this into my life, it doesn't matter how dark I feel. It doesn't matter how much gross stuff is happening all around me. 
doesn't matter how black and inky the light around me seems to not even be able to pervade into my life. When I open up the word of God, there's light. In my darkest moments, it is his word that cries out to me, that speaks to me. It is memory verses I learned from the time I was six years old until now that cry out to me in the midst of my night when I feel at my darkest and lowest points. When I lay in bed at night and I can't sleep and I'm feeling overwhelmed by life, it is God's word that comes into my mind and it is what brings light in the midst of the darkness. In the midst of the darkness, what we need, what we need is God's word to enter the picture at the very entrance I don't have to read 12 chapters I don't have to hit every note on the Bible reading plan and make it a whole year at the very entrance of his word is light what I love is that the Apostle John writes this amazing book we know it as the Gospel of John and the very first words out of his mouth was in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the only glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it is that Word, not just the words on the page, but the embodiment of the Word of God, Jesus Christ, that comes to dwell within us. And so when I'm... When I've been filled with His Spirit and I'm beginning to walk in the power of His Spirit, guess what happens? That word that I've read, the words on the page, they come alive because the Spirit of the Word is alive within me. And it makes this alive in me so that the darkness that is pervasive can't come but so far because the light is shining from His Word. He steps in His Word and brings forth light. I believe with all my heart we are living in perilous times, the last days, you can call it whatever you want. If you don't believe any of that stuff, biblical prophecy you think is a joke, I'll sell you a Bible, read the book of Revelation, then watch the news. You'll probably be convinced. But um, if I've ever thought we needed to draw close to the light, it is today. If I've ever thought we needed to draw close to Jesus, the embodiment of the word of God in flesh, it is today. For when the darkness is at its greatest, the light shines the brightest. When I was in this room all by myself in the complete darkness, I didn't even have an Apple Watch then, Pastor, but I would have given anything just for a little bit of light to shine off my watch or anything. Why? Because the darkness seems so pervasive that you don't, you're, you're afraid to put one foot out to move any farther. Because you don't know what's next. I want you to know today in the midst of that darkness there is hope 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 because in the midst of the darkest night his light no matter how big or how small it will chase away the darkness when I was a kid if you all would stand with me I know I kind of went off script here if you were in first service and you watch this later I apologize You can still get something good out of this, even if you're not here. When I was a kid, I went, uh, never had a problem being afraid of the dark pastor. Never. When I was 13, I went with a family that was um, close to our family, went with them to Mississippi. And um, 
I slept in a van for like a week at a conference with the wife and the kids went in the house and I ended up sleeping in the van with the father of this family for a week and every night I'd lay in that van to sleep and uh, every noise I heard outside scared me to death to the point that I became consumed with fear from the dark when I came back home my dad will tell you this to be the truth I'm 13 years old and I made them go and buy nightlights throughout the house we'd never had nightlights in our house before now we had nightlights down the hallway in the bathroom anywhere I could find a place to put a nightlight I wanted one because I was so consumed with fear of the dark I don't know if I don't I don't know that anything happened to me in the dark but I know I was afraid of it to this day I'm not real happy with the dark I'm just gonna be honest with you I, I, I like light but I remember at 13 years old being embarrassed by being so afraid of being in the dark but I remember the relief I felt if I could just see a little bit of light I'd wake up in the middle of the night and as long as my door was open and I could see the light in the hallway, I was fine. But if that door was closed or there was no nightlight, I would feel this terror come on me. And my dad would probably tell you I would holler out in the middle of the night and they'd have to come to my room, find out what was going on. And all it would be is I woke up and I saw a tree outside waving on the window and I was terrified. I know that right now there are people in this room Physically, you may not be afraid of anything. You ain't afraid of the dark. You're not worried about nothing. But inside, emotionally, spiritually, you're in a dark place. And if you'd be honest with me today, you're afraid about all kinds of stuff. You got stuff that you are consumed by. Fear of this happening, that happening. Fear of loss, fear of whatever. You can go down the list. There's so many fears, they have to make up names for them. I met, met a man one time that was afraid of mustard. I don't understand that one, but okay. I mean, what do you eat with a hot dog? Oh my God. What was that? <laughs> I'll pray for you, brother. I need to introduce you to the yellow stuff. It's much better for you. Nevertheless, we are consumed many times with all sorts of fear. Stuff that it wakes us up in the middle of the night. We go to bed and we don't sleep. We walk the floor. We toss. We turn. All of the fears of the things that are in our life. And darkness consumes us. But I want you to understand something today. You're in a place that even if this place had zero light in it at all, we serve a God who is the light. And if I will surrender my life to him in the darkest of places, we can find the light of the word of God to come into our life. And so I'm going to open this altar today. They're going to sing. And they're going to sing this great song that we've already heard today. So you don't have to think about whether this song is going to minister to you because it already has. But as they begin to sing it, I want to open this altar to you today and allow you to come. I promise you, if you are in a dark place, we serve a God who wants to bring you out into the light today. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this time together today. And I ask you now, Lord, all over this house, that you would begin to work in the lives of your people. 
that we would surrender ourselves to you wholly and completely today, oh God, and recognize that no matter how dark it is right now, you set an end to the darkness. You will bring light into this situation. You will bring light into my life, and you will bring forth me as pure gold in your timing, God. We trust in you today, in Jesus' name.
house. Let's thank him right now. Surrender ourselves to him in this moment. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. It's something to think about this week. If you contemplate anything we've talked about today. In John, after Jesus declares that the word was made flesh, the writer of John talks about light. He talks about how many times those that don't like the light are consumed by the darkness. They love the darkness more than they love the light. Because the light, when we come into it, exposes our deeds. And it's not exposing our deeds to make us be less. It's not exposing our deeds to humiliate us or to make us feel like we are worthless. It exposes our deeds so that God then can work in us and we can surrender those ill practices to the Lord and God can begin to work in us. And so many times people are afraid to come out of the darkness. They choose to remain in the darkness because the light makes them feel like, oh man, I got stuff I got to work on. But the Apostle James writes this amazing passage and he says that, that this is like a mirror. And when we begin to expose ourselves to the light of the Word of God, the mirror that we hold up before us begins to show us things in us that we need to work on. And so the reason why sometimes we come and we have opportunity like we have right now to respond to the Word of God, whether up front or in your seat, many times we want to retreat from that. It's because we feel like if I go to the light, they're going to see, they're going to know, they're going to find out. But I want to encourage you today. Expose yourself to the light because it has nothing to do with Pastor Thompson finding out. It has nothing to do with me finding out. This praise team don't have a clue. You know what it has? You know who finds out? You. Because you expose yourself to the light so that you can find out that there are things in you that you need to work on and allow God to purify in your life. So expose yourself to the light of God's word. That's why preaching of the word of God is so important. That's why reading God's word is so important. Because guess what it does? It exposes within us the things that we need to surrender to God. One more time all over this house. Let's surrender ourselves to him in this moment. Father, I thank you. I surrender myself to you today, oh God. Whatever you want out of my life, I give to you, oh God. Lord, lead my life. Direct my life. God, you know what's best for me. And I'm surrendering it to you now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And as we're dismissed today, please don't let your kids go off at 13 and stay in a van with anybody. Not a good idea. God bless you. We love all of you. Thanks for being in the house of the Lord today. I hope you've had a great time in his presence. Go home. Enjoy the presence of God. Thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.